Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help military members and their families thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 382, CIO Pre- and Post-IPO with Michael Hansen. Well, my process is, I just call it painting the target. Uh, and, uh, and, and really it's, what do I want to do? And, and that's the bullseye. And if you think back in my story, I wanted to be a CIO and in the target that got me there to the CIO title was the government CIO. And, and so I felt like I hit the goal, but then when I reevaluated my goal and started to reshoot my azimuth, that actually wasn't the target. That was just a milestone to get to the target. And then once you see that target and you paint that target clearly, now you start to work yourself back to reality. What are the key things that I need to do working backwards to go from where I'm at to exactly that target? Special thanks to Jim Sinai for making the intro to Michael. While Michael had a full career in the Marine Corps with over 21 years of service, he didn't let either what he did in the Marines or how successful he was at doing it get in the way of his going on to have a truly exemplary tech career as Chief Information Officer at incredible companies. Here are a few things to look for in this interview. First of all, how Michael is always dreaming of what is next and then working his tail off to be proactive and bridge any skill gaps in his next career move. Second, how Michael is always learning, always pushing himself forward, and never playing it safe. Third, how Michael uses his network, not just to find a job, but to sharpen his skills and be the best he can be in his current position. And fourth, how Michael paints the target to determine what he wants to do, and then doesn't allow himself to lose sight of the bullseye. At the end of this episode, Michael rattles off a whole host of books and frameworks, Don't worry, we've listed them all at beyondtheuniform.org for the show notes in this episode. While you're there, if you've got 400 hours free, be sure to check out over 381 other episodes handcrafted to help you crush your post-military career. With that, let's dive into my conversation with Michael. Joining me today in Austin, Texas, my guest is Michael Hansen. Michael, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Oh, it's so great to be here. So I want to give listeners an abbreviated background on Michael. He is the Chief Information Officer at Procore Technologies, a company with nearly 2,000 employees that provides cloud-based construction software to clients across the globe. He started out in the Marine Corps, where he served for 21 years as an IT security architect. His career has included two years in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba as the CIO, two years as a cloud architect for the federal government, and five years as CISO and then CIO of MindBody, both pre and post IPO. And uh, Michael has one of the best quotes I've seen. He he wrote, uh, the civilian world is designed to reward the passionate, to feed the hungry, and promote the extraordinary, which I think is such a great, great encapsulation. Um, so maybe just to make space, Michael, anything to add or amend to that bio? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's been an incredible career, and and I can tell you that uh, from a guy that was 26 out of 27 in his high school class and had really uh, only a couple options, and one of those was the Marine Corps. You know, it's uh, the Marine Corps trained me up well and got me prepared to. Uh, to be a leader in the commercial space. So it's been very exciting and I owe a lot to that organization. Well, one thing I wanted to ask about, I I think one thing that's really incredible about your story is 
you know, when I when I read this, I've been out of the military for 10 years now. When I when I hear that you were CIO of MindBody, that you were there before the IPO'd and after IPO'd, that that in and of itself is like, oh, that's incredible. And then to to learn of your current position of chief information officer at Procore Technologies, this massive, quickly growing organization is impressive. But that's that's built on top of an already full career in the Marine Corps, which is, 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 I think, hopefully really encouraging for listeners who are still on active duty. I, I wanted to rewind the clock and, and ask you, could you take us back to what your transition out of the Marines was like and how you kind of reoriented to figure out what you were going to do? Yeah, yeah, I think it started... <clears throat> So right, right around the time that I realized I, I just couldn't keep up with the Marines anymore, you know, and they they are starting to beat me on the PFTs and and you realize, oh, crud, I'm, I'm actually too old for the Marine Corps now. Uh, and so I realized that I needed to do something else. And and one of the things I used to tell my Marines that were getting out is is to just really figure out and determine and ask yourself that question. What are you passionate about doing? And I did that with myself. I sat down and said, what do I really want to do? And I want to lead people and I want to lead people in technology. And the and as I, I, I grew up enlisted in the Marine Corps and uh, and retired enlisted in the Marine Corps. And I loved my position of being a master sergeant to the CIO. Uh, but I realized I could be the CIO. And so I set that goal and started to understand what are the requirements that it's going to take me to be the CIO. And, uh, and then start to achieve those requirements while I'm in the Marine Corps, uh, because the Marine Corps makes it so very possible for you to be able to do everything that you need. And so when I looked at the requirements of the CIO at that time, the first requirement is I had to have a degree because I wanted to lead people. And so I used the tuition assistance program and I was able to finish my degree, not only not only my bachelor's degree, but also then into my master's degree. And so I think that that was number one. Number two was uh, just by starting to approach a lot of the philosophies that you're learning from the universities around leadership in my military trade of leadership. And once I started to do that, it confirmed that my real passion, the real thing that makes it so I don't work a day in my life was leading people in technology. And so then I started applying for those jobs. And I was ready. And obviously, I got selected as the CIO of Guantanamo Bay. Uh, they felt I was ready as well. So so the two things that I love about that, and I hope listeners appreciate this, is, is first of all, how you dreamed big. And I feel like so many of the people I talk to, especially in that initial transition out of the military, they think in terms of this is what I did in the military. This is therefore what I'll do on the other side. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I love that you realized and you had that self-knowledge and confidence to say like, I, I may have been, you know, let's call it number two to the CIO. I can do that. But what I like even more than that realization and that willingness to, to, to grow was that you, you began to proactively bridge the gap. And for you, it was while you were on active duty, but for listeners who are already out of the military, you can always identify that next step and take proactive steps to bridge that gap in your case with education and maybe credentials or other things like that. So I love those, the, the combination of both dreaming, but also being really proactive and, and getting after it. Yeah. And, and I think it's a good point because when I talk to people that are getting out, you know, they bring me their military-based resume with all their military jargon. 
And then really what I have to do is just sit down and say, okay, let's put that aside and let's just talk about what you did. And if you take your supply people, they, they coordinate office uh, supplies and they make sure that everything is arriving on time. And, and that is such a needed workforce experience role in, in the civilian world. So it does translate, but you probably won't know it until you do some of that investigation. Or uh, if you think about the fact that you want to you know, lead the supply chain or you want to lead the IT organizations. One of the things I, when I talk to engineers that are transitioning, um, the, the one thing that the military prepares you for is to be able to do a trade very well to the top of your game in environments that are chaotic or crazy or unknown. And, and a lot of times, even on the civilian side, where we usually hit our roadblocks is when, when people aren't used to making decisions before when they go into the unknown. And when they get crippled or roadblocked there, that they lose their agility, they lose their ability to compete. And so why I love when military people join the work trade and, and set those high goals is because one, they have the experience to be able to do those roles, those high level roles, because they've already experienced it. Maybe they, they have some learning around specific tool sets or specific processes, but the experience of being able to do that role to perfection in the unknown is extremely valuable in the commercial side. Did you, um, you know, one thing I'm just thinking of in this moment is, so, you know, it, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like my external story is like you're you're in the Marines, you develop this skill set, and then you take kind of a, a step out of the military, but it's still adjacent with Guantanamo Bay. And then you go into the um, the two years as a cloud architect for the federal government, which is maybe a step further. But but then a lot of the work that you're doing at Mind Body Procore, that to me is like that's that's I don't want to say like hardcore civilian, but that's like kind of what comes to mind for me. And I'm just kind of curious if it was this gradual progression, or I, I have to imagine it would have been comfortable to stay in in adjacent industries to the military. And if that at some point took a leap of faith of saying I'm going, you know, I'm going rogue, I'm going completely out there now. Going all in, yeah. And then, then I read this. So I'm a master sergeant. I'm reading CIO magazine, and that's the dream, right? I'm setting the target. I want to be that. And uh, but while you're in the military, the CIOs you know, or you know that dream, that 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 target, uh, are people that are most of them. Maybe they're a colonel, right? And I'm not going to do this world again. So I'm not going to go back in the military. So I'm never going to be the colonel. But I do see these general, you know, these government service people holding the CIO role. And so that's what inspired me. And it was very close. It was very safe. It's still within the boundaries of the government. Um, but but there, was a, there was a huge difference. When you're in the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps has a lot of the esprit de corps, the camaraderie, all of those things. And so, and then you look at the government service role, it's so close, but it's actually not the Marine Corps. And so when you get into the government service world, there's a lot of there's a lot of things you got you must consider. One of those is they're still they're underpaid compared to the rest of the world. They may have the same levels of responsibility, but they're paid as a government official. And uh, and so that's not inspiring. The other thing is, is that um, they they don't have that same level of camaraderie and commitment that you would have. And they kind of work at the pace of the slowest pace. And so what I realized there is. 
Um, when I was setting my big goals, I'm setting my big goals because I'm innovative. I, I want to be agile. I want to be aggressive. And, uh, and, and even though the government space is, is safe and it seems like an easy transition, that wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. And I realized that quickly within the time I was at Guantanamo Bay. I had the job. I had a great job. I was leading great people. We were performing great missions. I led the Haiti earthquake communication operation, which was all of these 16 three-letter agencies doing all this work. And, but yet it was still missing the innovation factor of building something great. And so at that point, I realized I needed to move on to the next level, which was the commercial side. I, I just love the, um, that, that sense of not playing it safe. And it really comes through your hunger to always be growing and pushing yourself, but also the, the deep-seated confidence underneath that. And even, you know, I, I, it just kind of stands out to me. I'm just imagining as you're reading the CIO magazine, the, the, the people being profiled aren't you. Like you said, they're colonels, they have different backgrounds. And I know so often I and other people, we can get locked in to then ruling ourselves out and saying, well, like that person's not exactly like me, therefore I can't do that. And I love your example of being willing to bet on yourself and go after something, even if you're blazing your own trail in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and honestly, that was my two years going back to the architect's role. Sometimes you have to take a step backward to take two steps forward. And uh, so pulling myself out of the civilian, out of the government CIO role back into an architect's role, which actually, you know, very blessed to be part of that role, working with Joe Biden on recovery.gov and, and creating this great cloud transformation out of the federal government during the Obama years. That was awesome. But really, it was for me to finish my master's and understanding of where I needed to what I needed to do to get to my ultimate goal was this CIO over the commercial world. So that two year hiatus was for me to build, rebuild my education. And this is what I talk to a lot of military getting out is when you come out, let's say you're a supply person, but you your real passion is IT. Well, there's a lot of opportunities there. Again, go back and set your goal. Do I wanna run IT as an as a IT engineer architect? Then I, that means my goals mean I need to go back and get certified. I need to go back and go to school uh, if I want to lead people, I need to go get that four-year degree. So taking the time to go actually do that, it establishes that five-year plan that allows you to know that within five years, I'm going to achieve this next level of goal. And it's and, and I've watched everybody that does it, takes the step back, gets the credential, goes out and gets it, they hit it. And then the other thing is really just reaching out to your network. One of the things that um, military people in, in position of leadership always want to do is support the military getting into their passions and hitting their dreams. And so um, usually around the time of early March, there's internships growing all, over, all the time. And so if you're a student in school and you want to start getting that experience in IT, most SaaS companies will have intern programs where you come in. Now you're stepping back to that you know, 20, 21, $22 an hour, but the experience you're gaining is what's going to rocket you once you get your degree or certification into a role that you really want. What I, what I most appreciate about that, because I'm often saying this as well, which is like, I, I like to say that military veterans can achieve anything they want in their civilian career, but they very often drastically underestimate what it will take to get there. And I love that sense 
of being willing to take a step back. You may have been leading 50 people, maybe a position you take, you're not leading anyone. You may have been making a certain salary, maybe your next step, you make much less. I'm used to seeing that for veterans when they leave the military, being willing to give up seniority and pay and maybe even location temporarily to get ahead. But your story is great because multiple years after your, se your separation from the Marine Corps, you were willing to take that step back and you had your eye on the big picture. One, one question I have there is um, I often personally struggle with this, the sense of goal setting and five-year plans and things like that. And it seems like that's been a big part of your story. Do you have any process around that? Or do you do you follow anything to kind of set these, I don't know, one-year or five-year goals? Yeah, I, well, my process is, I just call it painting the target. Uh, and, uh, and, and really, it's what do I want to do? And, and that's the bullseye. And I don't allow myself to not to not to lose sight of that bullseye. And I think that's key. If I want to be a CIO, and if you think back in my story, I wanted to be a CIO and, a and the target that got me there to the CIO title was the government CIO. And, and so I felt like I hit the goal, but then when I reevaluated my goal and started to reshoot my azimuth, that actually wasn't the target. That was just a milestone to get to the target. And so I think that that's the key. And then once you see that target and you paint that target clearly, now you start to work yourself back to reality. What are the key things that I need to do working backwards to go from where I'm at to exactly that target? And, uh, and then I think really laying out those goals and hitting them. And so like in the case, if you want to be a leader in a, in a commercial organization, you must have a degree. And so being a leader is my target. Working backwards says I have to have a degree. Or understanding where I want to lead people tells me where I need to get the degree. And then I go out and do the things that allow me to get that degree. Experience is something that you have to have. And if you start to look at the resumes and the resume or the job applications and they say you need three years experience. That means within the four years of your degree plan, you have to have three years of experience. So we need to get out and get that. Even if it's a low paying job, it's experience. And so I think that's the key of just creating those milestones and hitting it. And I continue to do it when I leave a company. My job, my goal, even now as a CIO is to help an organization get prepared to go public. Now it's a very different game. I mean, I can't go any higher than CIO. And so now it's more of how do I achieve bigger goals around the organizations that I use my expertise and, and abilities to support? And so the goal is to get them there in two years, take the, take the company public within that third year, and then over the next two years, try to figure out how to either help them grow to the next level or if that's a possible transition time for me because I'm a builder, not a maintainer. And so this is a transition time for me to bring in somebody that can help them maintain. And then I go shoot at Azimuth for a new company that's ready to do the same thing. I, I love that painting the target and, and shooting the Azimuth. And, and again, this might just be my own bias or story, but what I tell myself is that most military veterans are exceptional about executing and getting stuff done. And what I love that you're complementing that with is really setting this big, hairy, audacious goal to go after and always keeping that in mind, but also your willingness when you get there to, you know, to pick out another peak and to realize there is something beyond that and to constantly be pushing forward. 
Um, one thing I'm wondering, you know, I'm, I'm imagining some listeners might wonder about this. Um, do listeners need to have experience in S6 or G6 world in the military to be successful in IT outside of the military? Yeah, absolutely not. And that's the, I think the key is just making sure you want to get into, if you're getting into the IT space, the data space, uh, the data analytics space, it's, it's, it's first making sure that that's your hunger, that's your desire. And if, if you're coming from any walk of the military world, then you can do that. Now, the key is set that as your target and work it backwards, making sure that you understand the requirements you're going to have to get there and use that process of stepping forward, stepping back to take two steps forward. And you and, and for sure, you'll achieve it. I mean, I've seen I've seen I, I just talked to a grunt, a person coming out of the grunt world. They had two years left. They used their last two years of the military to get the, the, the certification to be a what they call a business systems analyst. And they joined a company and they're doing exactly that. It, and that two-year investment was all it was all it took. And the military was very gracious about giving them time to, to be able to get that certification and do the transition. So I highly encourage anybody looking from any part of the military. Go where you want to go, plant your flag to, to go after that and, and achieve it. You will. And and could you break down um, for for maybe someone who's not familiar with it, your your title is chief information officer. What does that mean, particularly now, like in your day-to-day, week-to-week life? What does that look like? Yeah, so it's uh so it's CIO is a it's a it's a lot different than when you think when you're reading CIO magazine. And uh, because it comes in stages and where the stage that I operate in is in what's considered late stage. And there's multiple stages. I mean, the people there's there's CIOs that grow that take very, very large companies and maintain them. There's CIOs that are just coming out of the ground and they they're making a lot of things happen without process. I'm the CIO that likes to come in and take a you know, a lot of unorganized processes and start to make them organized so that you can go public. So that's the first thing. Um, my first responsibility is as an executive. We call it as a, we call it the first team, and this is this aligns really well with the military small unit leadership. The things that we were taught when we were in the Marine Corps um, is I have a first team, and that is the CRO. It's the CEO. It's the C uh, CTO. And that when that first team has things that they need to accomplish, every part of my job is to help them accomplish those goals for the organization. So I support the first team with all of my resources and all of my capabilities. Uh, the second piece is, is for me to create vision. What, we, what I've learned in my, my time period of, of leading people in the Marine Corps or, or in the civilian world is making that people optimize or work at their best if they clearly understand what the vision and mission is. And so I, I utilize Maslow's hierarchy of need. And what I've learned there is when you come into a job, psychologically, you have to feel safe that this is the role. This is what I'm equipped to do, I'm capable of doing. And once I pass that to the next level of Maslow, it's safety. Do I feel safe here? Do I have the right pay? Am I, am I gonna be, you know, are, am I not being considered for my work? And then the next piece is that, embodiment of the team. And so what I really focus on with creating vision and mission is to ensure that every employee feels like part of the team. And so that's my second role. Uh, the third role is, is really making sure that um, you do your mentorship, right? 
And so as we're talking about setting goal setting and making sure we have clear targets, part of my job is to make sure that all of the employees are setting those same targets, making sure that they're trying to become a high performing team and they're setting goals that are, are that raise the bar and that they're not just settling back and taking work as it comes. And so because everybody has an ambition of some kind and when you sit down and you and you want to mentor people that are in your organization and you start to bring those goals out of them, you see that they start to get excited because they start to realize those goals are achievable. And then together we start to make sure that they hit them. So the third thing as a CIO is, is you are still a mentor and a counselor. Mm, I love, um, I love the deliberate leadership there. I haven't actually heard the application of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in, in, in terms of a team or team members. I think that's really, really brilliant. I, 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 another question just that is coming to me is, um, it, it seems like from an external standpoint, you know, if you have a, a functional role, an industry and a size of company, it seems like in your civilian career, you really obviously put the stake in the ground around the functional role being CIO. And it also seems like you've got a pretty firm stake around the size of the company. You, you've talked about being a, um, you know, a grower, not a maintainer, and that you're at this, this certain stage of company. But then the, the industry seems to be flexible because I'm thinking of the, you, you've worked in multiple industries right now and mind body is, is, seems to me to be pretty different from what you're doing at Procore right now. Can you speak to that of just kind of like how you made those decisions of saying, because the other aspect of that I'm curious about is I could imagine someone in your shoes saying like, oh, I'm a great grower, but I, I want to learn how to become a maintainer versus yeah. you really, you know, seems like you've made peace with that. You said, okay, I'm, I'm not this. I'm just going to double down on this rather than trying to become something I'm not. So I'm just curious how you in general have thought about picking and doubling down versus moving into a different industry. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and interestingly, um, you know, I think I think that come that piece came from experience, the experience with the military. I think one of the things that the military trains you well on is every time that, especially as you start to become a sergeant, staff sergeant, uh, and and beyond, is they move you every three to four years. So I think for me, I, it was easy to uh, realize that I do like coming into teams that are dysfunctional and rebuilding them. Uh, because the military kind of trained me to do that. And, and it became something that I became very, very good at. And, uh, but then what I realized on these, on the, on the civilian side is, you know, IT is a function of a greater organization. And so, yes, we can go look at MindBody as a health and wellness company with within a very big need for IT, for the technology and the application and the security um, but that because because it's a SaaS company, a software as a service company, I really am not changing industries, although it looks like it moving into the construction world because it's still a software as a service company. Um, but I do enjoy the fact and I think that this is part of the decision I made too to move into when I was working on federal government um, and I was working on as the federal government architect, I, I interfaced with companies that were software as a service company. And I saw that the, these companies were young and vibrant and they had a culture that was very much the same as the Marine Corps culture where people cared about each other and they, they cared about uh, commitment to uh, owner. Like in, in our case, we care about the commitment of ownership and optimism. 
And, uh, and so, and, and those commitments to core values is exactly what the Marine Corps taught, teaches you from day one. And so I think my, what lured me into the software as a service business is, is just software as a service companies do that. And as I searched those, um, you know, the world, those, that world is pretty small. They, a lot of the CEOs know each other. They realize the value of culture. And so they start building that very early. And then that allows me the ability to switch between, you know, industries really focused on this single trade. And, and what was it that led you to the construction industry? I'd love to kind of hear about your transition to Procore. I, I think what's, what's compelling for me is that when you think technology, when you think software as a service, when you think of all of these things, like construction is not an industry that comes to mind for me, but that's also really exciting to think of bringing that into at least something that perception-wise doesn't seem like the highest tech type of, uh, of industry. So could you talk about that, that navigation to there? Yes. And, and, and it was out of the three choices that I was looking at at the time, um, that, was the, that was the exact thing that was exciting me. Construction is a, is a very complicated um, uh, industry. There's so many moving pieces to it. There's so, so much parts to it. And most of this industry is run um, on paper and pencil, on graphic design. And when you, when I thought about the possibilities at the time I was coming into Procore, there was, there was um, even more opportunities, but some of them I was looking at was just looking at 3D modeling. If you can imagine in the old days, you know, you would have to start building and then you'd have to take your blueprints and you'd have to walk the blueprints. And then uh, like, even when I built my house, my, you know, after they put the walls and everything up, my wife would walk through it and she'd say, oh, I didn't want these walls there. I wanted something else. And it was such a painful, expensive experience. And, and, and I hated construction when I had to do construction. And so then when you see that you're ta putting, taking those blueprints, putting them in a system like Procore, loading them up into a 3D model and walking those before you've even touched the ground, that is amazing to me. It saves money. It saves time. It saves, uh, it saves heartburn. You know, it saves marriages. <laughs> and so I think that, I think that um, that type of technology, other technologies we're looking at are like drones. You know, drones are great technology. Flying over a construction space looking down and seeing how many people are wearing hard hats and gloves and starting to calculate using data analytics, how many, and, and makes predictions around what type of injuries a construction site would have over the course of this project and starting to build preventive measures that save lives. I mean, the, this is the type of technology that's coming into construction. And so when I was coming there and seeing this opportunity uh, as a builder, as a Marine, you know, all those, all those, uh, hormones ignited in me and said, that's where you need to go. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Do you, um, actually, could you, could you just for listeners to, um, could you share a little bit more about the technology you provide or kind of what Procore Technologies does? Oh yeah. Procore automates the construction process and it, it, Procore has, um, it, I think there's 12 uh, facets of construction from pre-construction all the way down to turning it over to maintenance. And so we automate those, those processes through the software. Um, and, uh, and now we're adding analytics engines to, to build analytics around those capabilities. And, uh, and then also, um, you know, just, just many features that make people's life more simple and pleasant when they're doing construction work. 
And, and how much in your work do you do you have to think about like maintaining trust with your customers? With a, I'm imagining a lot of this information being stored in the cloud. Maybe maybe they're not as used to doing that. Like, is that a big component of the role of establishing that kind of trust and security? It is. It is, especially now as we start to get into, you know, there's no doubt that on the security on the security space, we there's a lot of. Uh, um, bad country actors trying to come in and steal data. And if you think about the construction industry, first of all, we build buildings that are extremely sensitive. Uh, we have, you know, and um, and so to be, be able to steal those trade secrets is, is extremely important. Um, and, but also the construction move, industry moves tons of money. And so, uh, and to be able to intercept that and start to do phishing attacks and try to inter and intercede and, uh, create business email compromise or, or hijacks on the on that cash, that's a constant threat. And so as a CIO, one of the things that even me as a CIO is I want to build trust with the organizations that we're bringing in. I don't want just an application. I want a partnership because I'm buying this tool because it's automating my most critical business processes. And so if I don't feel secure with the software that's coming in or the software coming in is not secure, it could put our business at risk and shut us down or at the at worst, make us not competitive. And so it is very important that um, as a CIO that I reach out to the CIOs. And what I do, I like to do is, is what I call the open kimono. I think it's very important that uh, when we work with the CIOs, that they're able to see exactly what our security posture is, exactly what our flaws are. They, I allow them to see our penetration tests so that they can understand where our weaknesses are and how we're correcting those uh, so that they feel very secure. It's not just a sales call. It's actually a relationship that we're trying to build with them and to ensure that I'm going to do everything I can as a CIO to help their pro our product secure their enclave and to make their business better. And that's what we really strive to focus on. I, I imagine in that sense, your background is really helpful as part of that process of like showing that you, you know, your time in the Marine Corps and how uh, your, the integrity and your, your ability to handle very sensitive information and things like this probably engender a lot of trust with your clients. It does. And, and the, the past to get there, you know, I've worked heavily uh, with the federal government to to be able to even secure the, their most sensitive in in solutions like AWS and Azure, and so to to understand all of those security control gates that the government requires allows me to translate that in our work in the beginning of the design. And I think that's very important. Is as we're designing this and I, and we're meeting with the engineers and developers that are developing these tool sets we're able to inject security in the design process, not try to just layer that on top. But then we also bring, you know, some of that military background. You know, I was, I operated a lot of military security operations centers. We ran a huge one in Guantanamo Bay uh, to ensure, because we had a you know ton of people trying to hack in and steal data for people that were uh, prisoners on the island. And I think that from that experience, you know, it allows me to understand where we want to go with our threat intelligence programs and how we want to tie in with the FBI and make sure that we have great relationships, identifying bad actors quickly and being able to uh, get that information to the FBI so that something can be done about it. A lot of times what you'll see with organizations or leaders that don't have that background is that they are satisfied with just defending an attack. 
I really don't get satisfied with that. My military background says I want to defend, but then I want somebody to go attack that bad actor. And, you know, I don't have that legal jurisdiction. They really strong arm us from doing that. Uh, and so we use the FBI and, 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 you know, over the course of the last couple months, also the cyber intelligence groups in Australia. And so we're very tied in with them at, with a great working relationship. And that all comes from, you know, just the experience of being able to do that in my military career. One thing I wanted to ask about is it's it's you know it's clear as you're always pushing ahead you're never settling you're you're always learning and you mentioned CIO magazine a couple of times I'm curious just to learn about um how you stay current on information but also for li listeners and I'll take notes and put this in our in our show notes any books or podcasts or magazines or resources that have helped you in your career that you might pass on to listeners yeah, so I, I get a ton of a ton of podcasts that come down from our CEO. He really, Tui really likes to listen to podcasts, and so so the only one that I you know that is I definitely subscribe to myself is TED Talks. So everybody should be part of that. Um, but books um, that have really influenced me or turned this ship around, I thought that is a great naval book uh, talking about leadership and, and the hardships of leadership when you come into an organization that does need to be turned around. And it's interesting because a lot of times when I come into an organization, the organization is anti-policy and, uh, and my whole job as a security professional is to bring policy. So naturally my job is to turn the ship around. <laughs> and so, uh, the art of the unreasonable, I love, I love that book and talking about, uh, you know, how to approach certain situations as we, deal with multi-generational workforces, um, you do need to understand how to achieve goals and speak languages that might not be different depending on uh, the generation, you know, how the generation is seeing things. Uh, the Progress Principle is one that I've listed. And then I, I have a new one called Focus by Daniel Goldman. Uh, I think that was a great, uh, great book that really focuses in or uh, teaches you how to focus in on how to achieve goals. And then um, most importantly, as an IT professional, if you're ever going to get into this or if you uh, are leading IT organizations, it's important that you build on frameworks. And a couple of the key frameworks uh, that uh, I rally cry our teams around are one, Maslow's hierarchy of need, because our people are always first and we need to make sure that they can always, uh, we're always doing things to get them to the highest level of productivity. The BRMI Institute has a maturity method that shows how business systems and IT come together as one. System engineering V model demonstrates how a systems organization is supposed to work with an engineering organization. Six Sigma about quality and making things lean and then always ITSM with ITIL. Beautiful. And I'll add those in the show notes for listeners in case you're flying a jet or driving a submarine. You can check those out at beyondtheuniform.org. Um, my, my guess is that, you know, having had so many incredibly prominent positions, that there are so many demands on your time. These are not simple jobs that you're doing. I imagine they, they require a lot of you. Do you have any advice for listeners um, either on like work-life balance or in between jobs, if you've been able to kind of take breaks or how you stay, um, how you, you, you keep from burning out or getting so depleted from just such a demanding career. Yeah. And we've really had to focus this year. I mean, COVID it's very easy, easy in a COVID world to walk into your office, which is in your house and never leave your office. 
And so I think that uh, what I've been, what I've done, and you know, this, I, I think all of our executives that were, were encouraging this, and I agree with it, is you have to, you have to stick to a, a routine that's very similar to what you had when you were driving into work. And so I still now do the walk where I walk my kids to school. It gets me out of the house and gets me into a early routine. I still take time for myself for meditation or prayer or whatever, uh, you know, brings that kind of peace in your life to, to get you centered. And then I come into the workplace, do my work, and then try to maintain that eight hours. I think that is, is critical in today's COVID world. Um, but then as an executive, you know, I think the, the, the challenge is you are always having to work. You, your, your people can't wait for, you know, you to get back to your eight hours so that you can help them, you know, problem solve or get through their roadblocks. And so I think that uh, what I've learned to do is you have to have that takeoff time. So every six months, I will disconnect. And when I disconnect, you know, my team is very good about making sure that when I disconnect, my phone is off and uh, and that they are handling their problems on their own uh, and so that I can completely disconnect. And uh, and when you do that, you know, you realize a couple of things. One, you, you, you get yourself back to centered and relaxed, but you also come to a realization that sometimes when you're leading leading teams, or sometimes when you're there as an IC and you're taking on all these big projects, you feel, you start to feel like you're the only one that can do that. And what really happens, and they taught us this in the Marine Corps, is when you take yourself out for a little bit, the, the rest of your organization, the leaders that are ready to come up, they step up and you give them that opportunity to step up. If you stay connected, they don't have that opportunity to step up. And then you don't realize the true value that your leaders bring in their organization, whether they're ICs or people managers. So I think it's very important for me to do that and just watch and observe who, who does step up. Who is that person that really wants to be take on the CIO type role? And, and so I, I, that's, that's what I do. I think that's, I, I haven't heard that before. That's a pretty powerful thought to think of um, if you're not taking those breaks, if you're not unplugging, you're actually depriving the organization and the team members from that uh, that gift to be able to step up and to be able to expand and grow. And it's it's uh, that's an interesting way of, of thinking about the benefit of, of stepping away for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then opening, and I always suggest, and we, we just went through a class called the gift of feedback. And I think it's very important when you come back to be ready for some of that feedback, because I think your leaders are going to say, Hey, I learned something while you were gone and you got to be ready. Sometimes it's a punch in the gut. And, uh, and, and, and I think the military, this is again, is why people in the military should consider commercial is because you're used to getting punched in the gut. Um, because you usually you had a master sergeant that yelled at you for some reason that that was crazy. Well, you're that means you have the thick skin that you need to be able to allow your people to come and give you some feedback on how you can help them uh, be a better leader in their organization. And I think that's that's very very important. Either for yourself or the people that you've managed who are veterans or people that you've advised along the way, have you? Um, I think we often on the show clearly talk about all of the benefits that people from the military bring to the civilian workforce, but I'm just curious for yourself or those you've worked with, is there anything you've had to either unlearn or maybe blind spots that you didn't have at the time of things that served you in the military that don't serve you outside or anything, anything along those lines? 
Yeah, I think that uh, I think that uh, in the military, you you do create, you know, some they have some guiding principles that create some very tight boundaries and the, the boundaries, you know, restrict you from really understanding how to bring inclusion into your thought process. And I think the biggest thing that I learned, you know, first at MindBody, but I continue to learn it every, every, uh, every day really, is especially as generations start to change, is how to bring these new thought processes, include those into your thought processes, right? And, uh, and so I think that that's something, military is very hard line, so they don't allow a whole lot of inclusion of thought. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I thought, my, personally, and neither did the civilian world, civilian or the civilian government side, that was very strict thought thinking as well. Uh, I find it liberating. I, I really enjoy on the commercial side to uh, be able to experience the way that different cultures, for example, solve problems. I think that that's an incredible thing. I, I remember when I took over um, and started to run a Japanese telephone company, you know, the way the Japanese handle time off was was just very intriguing to me because it was very different than what I was used to. And it allowed me to see something about, you know, um, how the function of an organization stays tight when people are cohesive around you know, the, the time that they take off or the time that they do things. So I, I think that was probably the, the big, biggest experience, but also the best experience about being in the commercial side. I, I love that. My, my wife works as an executive coach. She works with a lot of CEOs and, um, uh, you know, a small portion of her clients are, are military veterans. And one observation she's had is that oftentimes um, veterans that she works with are much more black and white than yeah. other executives she works with. And so I like that thought of kind of inclusivity or open-mindedness or ability to see things from different perspectives. That, that rings true for myself as well as a lot of my uh, friends and people I can think of from the military. Um, well, I, I, um, I wanna be respectful of your time here, but I always like to leave time at the end that's open-ended. And um, you know, you kind of answered the questions that I had for you, but I'm sure that there's, insights you have that we haven't talked about. And so I just want to leave the last few minutes here. If there's anything that we haven't talked about that you think would benefit our audience, I would love to, to hear it. Yeah, well, I no, I think, I mean, your line of questioning was incredible. I thought it, it, was, it was great and it pulled a lot of story out. I think that, uh, I think the biggest thing, especially when I'm thinking about enlisted people because you know i obviously had i i catered to the enlisted because i that's where i lived and breathed is uh you know i i i definitely feel and i can be an example to that that if you set your mind to achieving the leadership goals that you really want to achieve you will achieve them and uh but it does take work it's not going to come to you that's for sure and uh and so i definitely um you know i i encourage all, all leaders uh, to, when they're coming out of the military, to reach out to their counterparts, because I, I deal with a lot of CIOs. Many of the CIOs are military. It's, a, it's pretty amazing. I just attended a security event in Scottsdale, and even in a COVID world, all of these CIOs showed up. And why? Because they were all military, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, so I think it's very important for them to realize that one, they should reach out. They should reach out in LinkedIn with us with the story, uh, and and you'll see that they stay connected. We all are there to to encourage and help you get on a path for success because we all know 
what this transition feels like and how hard it is and how much, how lack of information. I, I attended the transition brief and honestly, I couldn't give you one golden nugget they gave me because none of it was valuable for me. And so that's unfortunate and I feel sad about that. The real value is when you reach out to the community of, of people, whether it be in LinkedIn or Facebook, and just ask the questions you need to get to that next level of your goal, and we will help you get there. Well, I appreciate your time. I, I just, um, you're such an incredible example for me of someone who is um, not resting on your laurels. You're always growing and networking and learning and um, challenging yourself. And it's, it's encouraging to hear you talk about the power of reaching out. Usually when someone is making a career move or they're transitioning, they're super active with their network, but it really strikes me that you know, it, that's part of your week to week life is staying connected and learning. And that's a, such a great example for, for myself and for our audience. Yeah. And don't stop that. I mean, every day, every article that comes out, you know, that's an opportunity for you to, you know, put that, put that into your quiver of tools of thinking so that you can make better decisions. I mean, the world changes fast. And, uh, and so, yeah, no, hundred percent. And then I also, uh, we all experience very different problems. I even, you know, I when I talk to my leaders, we're faced with some big, big challenges going into 2021. The first thing I do is reach out to my CIO network to understand, are you facing this challenge or have you already overcome this challenge? And and you have to do that in this world because the, the otherwise the amount of problems that you would face would be insurmountable. So I, the networking piece is extremely important. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and advice and for sharing your story with Beyond Uniform. Awesome. Pleasure to be here. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, and our editor, Kathleen Dillon. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 330 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of more men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but we don't have nearly the resources to do so. If you know of a company that would like to advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them to beyondtheuniform.org. Third, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of beyondtheuniform.org. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll also find 330-plus episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll find a link for live events, typically four per month. You'll also find both free and for-purchase books that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career and life.